you will, open your Bibles this morning to James chapter 5. As I was studying this this week, it, um, the sermon got smaller the more I studied. And I even sent a text to Brother Richard and Brother Connor, and I said, I'm only preaching one verse tomorrow. And that was, that was even yesterday as I was continuing to, to go through this and, and study this out. James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 13 this morning. The country music star Kenny Rogers has a song that's titled The Greatest, in which he sings about a boy playing baseball all by himself. Y'all know I'm a baseball fan, so. And this little ball player has this boyish confidence, and several times throughout the song he calls himself the greatest. He's the greatest player ever. He's the greatest of all time. And so he tosses the ball up, and he swings, and he misses. But his confidence doesn't waver He tosses the ball up a second time. He swings again, and again he misses. He's undeterred, and so he tosses the ball up one more time. And then some of the final lyrics to the song say this, And the ball goes up like the moon so bright. He swings his bat with all his might, and the world's so still as still can be, and the baseball falls, and that's strike three. Now it's supper time, and his mama calls, Little boy starts home with his bat and ball. Says, I'm the greatest and that is a fact. But even I didn't know I could pitch like that. (laughs) It's a matter of perspective. You may have heard that phrase before. This boy could have been sad that he didn't hit the ball. But instead he was impressed and amazed at his pitching prowess all of a sudden. Nothing changed except his perspective on things. This morning we're going to talk about something that can change our perspective on things, and that's prayer. One reason prayer is important is because sometimes we face hardships in life. And prayer can give us a godly perspective even when or if those circumstances and those hardships don't change. Another reason why prayer is important is that it helps It helps to prove the genuineness of our faith. We're almost finished studying through this this letter. And and throughout this letter, James has urged us to have a genuine, consistent faith. And he's given a lot of examples of what inconsistency looks like. It's inconsistent to pray for wisdom but doubt that God's going to give it. It's inconsistent to be a hearer of the word but not a doer. It's inconsistent to claim to have faith and yet have no works. It's inconsistent to use your mouth to bless God and turn around and curse people. Those are just a few of his examples. And so this morning as we're thinking about prayer, think of this. It's so inconsistent to claim to be a Christian, to claim to have faith in God and not pray. If we said it in a more positive way, it would be something like this. A faithful person is a prayerful person. Prayer is a huge part of the consistency of our faith that James has been dealing with. He wants our lives to be consistent with our faith, our actions to parallel our beliefs. Prayer is a huge part of that. So as James ends the letter, he he does so by teaching us more about prayer. So look at James chapter 5. Let's read verse 13 through 20 because it's it's tough to separate them. And I want you to hear the entire closing, but then we'll come back and focus on verse 13. 
James says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. In verse 13, James presented a scenario of someone being afflicted. He said, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. And he gave this, this command for a person to pray. The idea of affliction here, some of you have a translation that says suffering or if anyone's in trouble, and those are good translations as well. The idea of this word is to endure hardship, to suffer some sort of distress or misfortune. And I love this definition. One lexicon gives this word. It's to be in a sorry situation. I don't know why that definition kind of stuck with me, but I like it. Sometimes you just got to say, this is sorry. Sometimes things in life are sorry, and you're in a sorry situation. You know, you say, I, I can't believe I'm having to deal with this. And it's okay. It's okay to say that. It's okay to realize that it's sorry. And this sorry situation, whatever it may mean, it primarily has the idea of, of troubles or hardships that arise from without. That is, it's something outside of your control, something outside of you, some, some outside force that caused this or brought this on you or brought this into your life. Think about the context of James. Maybe he's thinking about how his first group of readers had to flee Jerusalem because of persecution. That's an outside force causing some affliction. Maybe he's thinking about the sufferings of the prophets or the tragedies of Job that he just mentioned, or maybe how the rich were oppressing them, which he mentioned earlier in the chapter. Whatever it is, it, it could be any kind of suffering or trouble that's just caused by this world. Remember what Jesus told his disciples on the night that Judas betrayed him? At the end of John 16, Jesus said, in the world, what will you have? In the world, you will have tribulation." Every one of us faces the struggles of this life. We live in this world. Hardships find their way into the lives of Christians just like, just like they find their way into the lives of, of unbelievers. Do you remember how James opened the letter? He said, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or, or trials. He didn't say if you fall, but when. James knew that Christians don't have this protective layer of spiritual bubble wrap around us to keep bad things from happening. We may be born again children of God, but we still live in this sin-cursed world. 
And it's not that we go looking for tough times. It's not that we're, we're trying to find them. But sometimes they have a way of finding you. And you just fall in them. They're surrounded. They encircle you, like James said earlier in his letter. And sometimes these troubles may be small. Sometimes we joke and call these small hardships first world problems. You ever use that phrase? But sometimes troubles and problems are extremely difficult and truly challenging and truly hurtful. But whatever it may be, if we're afflicted, if we're in a sorry situation, what should we do? What's the proper response for a Christian? Here James says, pray. Let him pray. And doesn't that almost sound like an allowance? You know, like, it's okay. Don't, don't stop him from praying. He's not hurting anybody. Let him pray if he wants to. It sort of sounds like that, but that's not what James meant here. It's not that that's a bad translation, but this has a lot more force than that. The New American Standard uh, Bible translates it as, he must pray to try to bring a little bit more force across. Because this is not an allowance, and it is not a suggestion, but it is a command. James is commanding anyone afflicted to pray. And so as Christians, we need to make it our constant, consistent practice that when we're facing hardships, we're praying. And if you really think about it, if we're following other commands in Scripture, say, for instance, pray without ceasing, if we're following that command anyway, it's going to be easy to follow this command that James gives because it's just our lifestyle. It's just what we do. Prayer is just who we are. But people don't always do that, do they? The Bible has a lot of commands and reminders for us to pray, probably because we forget a lot. It seems like the people that James were writing to weren't praying like they should, but they were doing a lot of other things when they were being afflicted. They were, we know they were complaining loudly. We know they were speaking evil against others, probably from last week, swearing oaths, trying to bargain with God from earlier in chapter 1, uh, blaming God for tempting them. None of those things are godly responses to suffering. If you're suffering, if you're afflicted, pray. Pour your heart out to God. You know, the Apostle Paul told the Philippian church something very similar. Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You say, okay, what will happen then? What will happen if I follow James's command? What will happen if I follow Paul's direction to pray? It, will it be over? Will, will God take away the affliction? Will he just, you know, snap his fingers and change everything? Maybe. He has the power to do that, of course. But he may choose not to exercise that power. His will may not be for those outward circumstances to change just yet. So when you, when you pour your heart out to God in prayer, your situation may not change at all. When you say amen, 
you may still be facing the same hardships that drove you to your knees in the first place. But even if those things don't change, something will. Something even better will happen. Paul told the Philippians that when they pray like this, God's peace will come. The next verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And it's a great promise because this peace of God that comes through prayer comes and guards your hearts and your minds regardless of whether or not God changes your situation. That's what's so amazing about this promise. Paul didn't say, and if it's the Lord's will to change your situation, He'll give you peace. He just says, if you pray, God will give peace. If you pour your heart out, God will pour His peace out. Period. It's a promise. And think about, think about this in the context of James and what we've learned about trials. Isn't peace during the trial better than being delivered from the trial anyway? Now, I know that's not what we like to hear and what we like to think about. But if the trial is removed, then so is the opportunity for growth. Earlier in chapter 1, James didn't command us to pray for the trial to be removed. He commanded us to count it as joy because we know the growth that can, that can happen in our lives when, when God sees us through a trial. And he commanded us to pray for wisdom during the trial, if that's something we lack. It's not wrong to pray for God to change your situation, okay? When Paul said, let your requests be made known unto God, that's a very specific, just heartfelt desire. It's not wrong to pray that and ask that. Paul did it. In 2 Corinthians, we know that Paul asked three times for a trouble, for a thorn in the flesh to be removed, and three times God said no. But what did God tell Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. So pour your heart out. But if God has bigger plans, you can trust Him. He'll give you peace. He'll give you grace. He'll give you wisdom. So prayer may not change your situation, sorry as it may be. But it will give you wisdom concerning it, peace to endure it, grace to get through it. And as we'll see in just a second, it can also give you the proper perspective about it. Maybe that comes with that wisdom. I think it's pretty profound here in James that he doesn't expound on this at all. It's just a very simple command. Pray. There's no ifs, ands, buts, no what ifs. It's just if you're afflicted, pray. If you're a Christian and troublesome times don't drive you to your knees, something is wrong. Where else are you going to turn? When we face troubles, we must turn to God in prayer. And then James quickly moves on, and he says, Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. There's obviously a contrast here between afflicted and merry, but it's far more than simply pray during bad times, but praise during good times. 
Now, that's not wrong because all situations in life should turn us to God, whether good or bad. If we're honest, though, sometimes we have a tendency only to turn to God when we're in trouble, and then when things are great, we have a tendency to forget God. If we're doing great, now's not really the time I need you, Lord. And God warned the Israelites about this. He warned them in Deuteronomy not to forget Him when they took the promised land. When they inherited these great cities, houses they didn't build, wells they didn't dig, uh, vineyards they didn't plant, He said, when you get all those things... Don't forget me, like people have a tendency to do. When everything is going great, don't forget God. And all that's true. Okay, if affliction turns us to God in prayer, good, good times should turn us to God in praise and thankfulness. But there's far more here than that. James's teaching goes much deeper, and it's, we see that when we look into this word Mary. Some of you have a translation that says cheerful. Some says in good spirits. And some say happy. All are fine translations. But here's what's very important about this word. This word doesn't describe good times. It doesn't describe outward circumstances like the word afflicted did. This word describes an inward attitude or an inward emotion. And so think with me for a minute. Yes, there are happy times in life. There are outward situations that aren't sorry. And we should praise God and thank God when we have those times. But this doesn't necessarily refer to those times. The point is, is that this is not limited to, quote, good times because you could still be in a sorry situation outwardly and yet be encouraged and cheerful inwardly. That's what James is talking about here. In fact, the only other time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used twice in a situation just like that. It's used twice in Acts 27 when the Apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. He's on this ship, and they're sailing, and they encounter some winds. They encounter a storm. They have a terrible shipwreck. Luke even writes, they had been without food for a long time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm without food for a long time, that's a sorry situation. All right? That's troublesome. During that sorry situation, Paul encouraged the sailors with this very word. He said, take heart or be of good cheer. And here's why. Because God had revealed to Paul that none of them were going to die from the horrible storm and the shipwreck they faced. So their situation hadn't changed. It was sorry. Shipwrecks aren't good. Their outward situation was still terrible. They were afflicted. But during that tough time, Paul told them to be encouraged. Take heart. Be of good cheer because we can trust God. We can trust what God's told me. I read part of John 16 earlier when Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but I didn't read the rest of the verse, did I? What else did Jesus tell his disciples that night? He said, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, or but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus used a different word, but it was a synonym. 
You know, even when we face tribulation in this world, we can still have an inward attitude of cheer and joy because we can trust God. We can trust His Word. We can trust what He said. So here's the point. The outward circumstances did not have to dictate their inward attitude. Outward troubles do not have to rob you of your inner joy because you can always trust God. You can always lean on His everlasting arms. You can always take His Word and His promises and rest in those. And that's reason to sing praise. And again, this is not an allowance or a suggestion. Let Him sing. This is a command. It's more general than just singing from the book of Psalms, although that's, that's fine and that's involved here. But it, it just means to sing praise. It might involve instruments. doesn't have to. You don't have to be a musician to follow this command. You don't have to be a trained singer to follow this command. You just need a little joy. You just need a little cheer, a little encouragement. In fact, joy is the fruit of the Spirit anyway, isn't it? Just a little merriness, a little encouragement. And you're commanded to sing. A couple of weeks ago, I started singing a song at the house, and Landon quickly interrupted me. He shook his head. He said, 24-7. And I, I kind of laughed. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, you sing 24-7. And I kind of joked, and I said, well, excuse me for being joyful. My family has it rough. They have to put up with my whistling and my humming and my singing constantly. So they need prayer. Right? Pray for them. Right? A joyful heart lends itself to singing praise to God. I know a widow who lost her husband a little over a year ago. And she's told me several times that when she wakes up in the morning even though her situation hasn't changed, and even though she's still all alone in her house, she wakes up and she sings, Great is thy faithfulness at the top of her lungs. Anytime our hearts are encouraged or cheered, praise God for that. Sing His praises with thanksgiving. And that's not limited to good times. In fact, there's another wonderful example in Paul's life of that very thing. Do you remember when he and Silas were in Philippi? They were on a missionary journey, and they're in the city of Philippi. Just read a few scriptures from Philippians. Maybe there's, there's a connection here. When they were in this city, they were beaten and imprisoned. And yet Acts 16.25 says, About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Their outward situation was sorry. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were afflicted. So they were praying. Just what James said to do. But their inward state was cheerful. So they sang. They praised God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these two things were happening together. They were praying and singing. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that James sort of linked them together here in this verse either. Perhaps James's entire point is that if we'll pray while we're afflicted, don't be surprised at the joy that may happen in your heart, even during the affliction that may lead you to singing praises to God, even during the storm. The prayer that's offered during affliction can change your entire perspective on things, even if nothing else changes. You may just start singing praises during the storm while you're in prison, during a shipwreck, when you're all alone in your house because you lost your husband, whatever it may be. If God can be praised during those times, when can he not be praised? And that goes back to consistency. There's never a time in our lives when we can't praise God and we can't be faithful one way or the other. So if your outward situation is sorry, pray. Prayer is powerful enough to bring God's wisdom, His grace, His peace, powerful enough to change your perspective on things, even if God decides not to change the circumstances. Tradition says that James practiced what he preached. James had the nickname Old Camel Knees because there was tradition that he spent so much time kneeling down in prayer that his knees just became dirty and calloused and ugly like, a, like the knees of a camel. Old Camel Knees. I don't know if it's a good nickname, but it's good that he got the nickname the way he did. Old Camel Knees. If you're afflicted, pray. But if your inward attitude, your inner emotional state is cheerful, sing praises. That might be during good times. But you might just find that the prayer that you offer during affliction leads you right into psalms of praise. Wouldn't it be great to pray and then as soon as you sing a, a say amen, you, you start singing? Because your whole perspective has changed and you know you can trust God no matter what. There's no circumstance of this life that can void the promises of God. Nothing. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, all this talk of cheer and joy and praise during affliction is probably weird to you. It's probably very strange and very foreign. But real joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Real joy comes from having peace with God having a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you know God, you know Jesus, no matter what happens in life, you have a reason for joy. Right before Paul commanded the Philippians to uh, not to worry about everything, anything but pray about everything, he told them to rejoice in the Lord always. I think prayer and joy go hand in hand. And so if you'll trust Christ, if you'll repent and put your faith in Him, you'll enjoy eternal peace with God. And that, that's not just some fleeting happiness that's dependent upon circumstances. It's true, lasting joy forever. And if you've done that, 
Every circumstance in life should turn you to God. If you're afflicted, pray. If you're experiencing great times, be thankful and praise God. And even if you're still facing affliction, but you feel that encouragement, that joy, my goodness, what a song to be sung when we can praise God during the tough times. Let's stand. Let's thank God for the power and the perspective that prayer can offer us. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that that James was inspired to write. Help us to learn from it and apply it to our lives. Lord, help us to be prayerful people and praising people. We thank you so much for the joy uh, and the cheer and the encouragement that you give us, Lord, even during tough times. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.